And so turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 16. If you're able to, I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to read it. It's going to be up on the screen. Uh, Follow along with me as I read aloud. Luke chapter 16, we're starting in verse 19. This is a parable, meaning a story Jesus told uh, that might be very well known to you about a rich man and a poor man. And so Jesus is speaking to a bunch of well-off religious leaders that he's hanging out with right now. He's told a series of stories we've gone through already over the last few weeks. And he continues, and in a way he concludes with this story. Verse 19, he says this. There was once a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table. But instead, the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his fingers in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life, you received good things just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot and neither can those from there cross over to us. Well, Father, the rich man said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. These are the words of Jesus. Father, we pray that you open our hearts and our minds and our ears to understand the true meaning of these words and that we would live by them in the power of your spirit. Amen. You can have a seat. When Bethany and I first got married a long time ago, uh, I was 19 still for a couple weeks. And we got this apartment. It was, when we first went and looked at it before we were married, it looked like this is a great looking apartment and it's affordable. We can make this work. And then the day that we were pulling in, after we got married and came back from our honeymoon trip, and we were pulling into the apartment complex, we were looking around and we're like, what happened to this place? Like the rose-colored glasses were removed, and we realized the paint was peeling everywhere, and it was just like trash all over the place. It, It was not a super nice apartment property. And so we went in, and we moved in, and we... We, we loved it. We have fond memories there. But there were some interesting stories I could tell you from that place. And I can't tell you all of them this morning. Uh, one of them, though, included a time where I was coming home from work and I saw two legs dangling out of the dumpster. Um, they were moving, so I kept moving along. 
And so I thought, oh, okay, well, they're probably just looking for something. And probably about two hours later, some friends of Bethany's, in fact, Jill Soares and, and another friend, came over and they came inside and like, did you guys know there's legs hanging out of the dumpster over there? I have no idea what happened. Uh, I went down later and, and the legs were gone. I hope that they were attached to something and gone. But that was, that was one story. Another time, I was walking out of our apartment, and it was about four in the morning. I worked at a dental lab. We were, we were making the metal pieces for partial dentures, and it was like an early, early morning job. And so I think it was maybe four in the morning or so. I walk out of the apartment, and I almost trip over something. And I look down, and it's a white sheet wrapped around what looks like the shape of a body, like mummy wrapped up. And I was like, whoa, what is this about? Um, again, I was 19. I didn't know how to deal with certain things like this that I had never seen before in my life. And so I locked the door and I called Bethany, stay inside. And, uh, and I found out later it, the person was alive, which is good news. And uh, my neighbor told me, yeah, this guy, man, I met him the other night. And he said he's, he's shipping off to the military tomorrow, but he just needed a place to crash tonight. So I told him it was cool if he just kind of slept here in our hallway because there is a covering and he wouldn't get wet if it rained or anything. I was like, well, that's really cool, but why would you tell him to sleep in front of my door? Uh, and it turns out the, the guy was okay, and I never saw him again. Um, lots of interesting stories in that place, but what I didn't, have the maturity of and what I didn't have at that time was the spirit to give me eyes to see like when I would see things like this what I did is I, I moved right along because it was an inconvenience to me and because it was scary a little bit and because I didn't feel like I was equipped to deal with it and I think Jesus is telling a similar story between this rich man and this poor man Lazarus like there's this guy who's at his gate you know, it's, you almost get the same picture, like he could like trip over him when he walks out of his property. There's this guy at his gate who's in desperate need and he's in agony and he's got sores all over and, and then you have this rich man and how does, how does he interact with him? In this story, we don't really get a picture of him interacting at all, does he? Uh, but he, what we do know about the rich man is he's inside dressed in fine purple linen. Now, if you don't know this, in that day, like, it wasn't common for people to be dressed in fine linen. That, that's like some nice duds, some good threads, really great clothing. What's a nice store that you guys would shop at right now? I shop at Ross, so I don't know. Like, what's, where? Savers. Savers. Like, you find a really nice find at Savers, right? And it's not in the half off, like, it doesn't have the green sticker, and it's not a green sticker. Like, you're, you're paying a nice five bucks for this thing. No, that's a bad analogy, Matt. All right. Imagine if there were a nicer store than Savers and you're getting like the nicest clothes, right? And there's this Instagram account that I have a guilty pleasure of following called Preachers and Sneakers. <laughs> I'm not going to make it on that uh, account, but, but it's posting these guys who are wearing like thousands of dollars worth pairs of shoes while they're preaching, and I'm like, ah, that's crazy. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not here to judge. But uh, that, that's the kind of clothing that this guy's wearing, okay? Really, really nice clothing. And if you don't know this, it says fine purple linen. And so it wasn't like uh, our day now where we can just dye anything whatever color we want, and that's super accessible. Like purple was a really hard 
color material and thread to come across in that day. So only the finest, only the richest, only the most well-off people could wear purple, let alone fine linen purple, okay? This is like the stuff of kings. And he's in there, and it says he's eating lavishly. Like, he, he had really good food on his table all the time whenever he wanted it. And what's interesting is, like, Jesus is telling the story, and the Pharisees around him, that's the religious leaders who are a little well-off themselves, are hearing this and going, that is the type of man I want to be. Later, in Luke 16, Jesus even says, you are the people who love money. So he calls them out for it. But they had this understanding, this worldview, they had this idea that if you were doing well in life, it's because God must love you. You must have done something right. God has approved of you, and now he is blessing you. And so Jesus starts off the story, and they're like, this rich man has got it going on. Like, that's who I want to be like. And so when Jesus is first few sentences come out of this story, they're going, okay, pay attention to the story. This is the guy. Like, there's going to be something about him. He's the one we want to emulate, right? And then you get Lazarus. Now, what's interesting here is this dude has a name. Did the rich man get a name? No, no, no. The way the rich man treats this poor man, Lazarus, is almost dehumanizing him. Like he is out there, the way Jesus paints the picture is dehumanizing almost. The man's out there laying on the ground. He's covered in sores all over his body. Like can you imagine what that must feel like? And the dogs are coming up and licking him. Now this isn't cute little puppies, okay? I hate the feeling of, of dogs licking me. It is nasty. When Millie comes up and licks me, I gotta go shower after that. It is so gross. But this isn't even that, okay? They didn't have dogs as pets in this culture. These were like wild dogs. So picture like a coyote coming up to you and licking your open wounds. This is who this dude got to hang out with. This was his comfort, his companions. And so they're hearing this side of the story and they're going like, that guy must have sinned greatly. In fact, we see all throughout the stories of Jesus when he comes across certain people who aren't doing well in life. Jesus, who sinned to make this person like this? There's a particular time he comes across a blind man and that is the exact question. Did he sin to become blind, Jesus, or did his parents sin? Like what, what did they do wrong? They must have been at fault here somewhere because God's not blessing him, right? And so that's, that's the picture of this man, Lazarus. But Jesus does something interesting in giving him a name and not the rich man. He is humanizing the poor man. He is lifting up. And if you remember, all throughout these other stories Jesus has been telling, remember, he's, he's at this uh, dinner party with the Pharisees who are pretty well off. And he's got a few sinners and tax collectors starting to gather around, the people that they didn't want to be around. He's got a few sick people who are outcasts and ostracized in society. They're gathering around because they're hearing, like, what is Jesus talking about? And story after story after story, what he's doing is he's telling them, listen, don't, don't lift yourself up with pride. Humble yourself. Because those of you who are lifting yourself up with pride, God's going to bring you down. But those of you who humble yourself and recognize you're in need, God will lift you up. 
And we get story after story of this, right? And Jesus is doing the same thing with this final story. He's saying, listen, there's this rich man who had it going on. He had everything you could ever want. I'm not even going to tell you his name. It's not important. And there's this man, a beggar, lying there in the street with open wounds. And the wild dogs are licking him. This man's name was Lazarus. Do you want to know what that name means? Lazarus is a name that means God will help. How beautiful is that? This didn't just happen to be this man's name. Remember, this is a parable. This is a story Jesus is telling to make a point. So Jesus gives this man that name. There's only one other Lazarus I could think of in the Bible. You guys know who I'm talking about? And it's a guy who Jesus was actually friends with. This is a real story. And he ended up dying, and Jesus raises him back to life. This isn't the same Lazarus. But I wonder, once we get to the end of the story, if Jesus even had something going on there, why he named him the same thing. But there's another, actually, another person in Scripture with a similar name, but you wouldn't recognize it the same way. Because Lazarus was a translation of someone else's name in Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, we got to give ourselves a little bit of backstory here, a little bit of context. So if you'll travel with me. Genesis 15, there's this exchange between a man named Abraham and God. Like they're having a conversation. It's pretty crazy. But... In that, in Genesis 15, he talks about a servant of his named Eleazar. So Genesis 15, verse 1, after these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, this is before God changes his name to Abraham, indicating he's going to be a father of many. God had given him a promise that he would have, this is in this promise is in Genesis chapter 12, if you want to look it up, that he would have many children and be a father of a great nation. A huge amount of people would come through the line of Abraham, and God says, I will be your God, you will be my people. That's covenant language. You know what I mean by covenant? Not just promise, but like the deepest, most intimate promise between two parties. That's the language of, I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. Have you heard that language before? Yeah, that's Song of Psalms, that's intimacy. That's like man and woman talk right there. Like, I am your God, you are my people. We are united together as one. And I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to the nations around you. This is the promise God gives to this man, Abram, a long time ago after the world had all gone to garbage. Everything had broken, fallen apart because people rebelled against God. And God comes to this man and says, no, 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 I'm not done yet. This is my world. This is my creation. And you are mine. And I love you. And so I'm going to do great things in your life so that you can bless other people and bring them in too. And so Abraham gets this good promise. Chapter 15, he goes, but Lord God, verse 2, what can you give me since I am childless? Like, you're telling me you're going to make this great nation of people out of my descendants. I don't have any kids. 
And Abraham's getting pretty old right now. He's in his 90s. And so is his wife. And I don't know if you know that, but reproductive systems don't work that well at that age, okay? And so he's like, what are you going to do? I don't have any kids. He says, not only am I childless, he says, the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Eleazar is where the name Lazarus comes from. Abraham continued, look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave... Born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, verse 4. This one will not be your heir, Abraham. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He's saying, no, no, listen, it's not going to be the slave. I told you this is what I'm going to do, and I will keep my word. I gave you a promise. You will have a son of your own who will be born, and I will build a nation out of you. You will be my people. I will be your God. I will bless you, so you will be a blessing to others. This is the context we need to understand Jesus' story, because now we have another Eleazar in this story. We also have Abraham in this story, don't we? Remember, after the rich man dies, Lazarus dies, where does the rich man go? Do you guys remember? Yeah, to Hades, right? Suffering and agony in the fire. We'll talk about Hades in a second, what that means. Where does Lazarus go? Abraham's, thanks for using the King James version, Matt. Abraham's bosom. Just nestled there in his bosom like a little baby, right? I looked up some old like Renaissance paintings of this story and that is like holding him like a baby. I'm like, that's ridiculous, come on. So he goes to be at Abraham's side. So we have Abraham in the story. We have the servant in the story. What does the rich man call Abraham? Do you remember? Father, right? He he views himself as Abraham's son. As any other good Jewish person would have in this time. We are descendants of Abraham. We are his offspring, this great nation God promised to bless, to be a blessing. We are sons of Abraham. Our kids even sing that song, Father Abraham had many sons. I think they march when they do it. That's why I'm doing that. I don't know. They might. This was their promise they held on to. It was like this God is going to love us and care for us because we're descendants from Abraham. And they would have this great work that they would do to show their lineage. Like, no, this was my father, my father's father. And they would trace themselves all the way back to Abraham to prove it and go, I am one of God's chosen people. In Luke 3, there's a situation where John, remember John, who's Jesus' cousin, he's preparing people for Jesus to come. John the Baptist, we call him sometimes. John was talking to these religious elite people and he was telling them, listen, Don't bank on the fact that you're a descendant of Abraham. That means nothing. Just because by blood you come from Abraham, God will make children out of Abraham from the rocks if he has to. That's what he says. What he's saying is you have disobeyed and rebelled against God. You have turned your backs on him. You have spit in his face. He blessed you so you could bless other people and you haven't done that. You've hoarded it to yourselves. So now... Don't presume you're part of God's people just because you are descended of Abraham. No. God will make children for himself any way he sees fit. 
You can't box them in. Jesus has given us a similar story. This rich man, Lazarus, you're a descendant of Abraham. He calls him Father. Father Abraham. Don't you know who I am? Didn't you see how God blessed me in my time? And he even treats, even after death, he treats this Lazarus still like a servant, doesn't he? Tell Lazarus to come and do this, to bring me some water. Send Lazarus to my father's home to tell my brothers and warn them. He's still treating him like Abraham's servant. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. There was a time when God made a promise. Abraham, your children, your descendants would be blessed as my people so that you could bring others in. But you turned away from that call. And because of that now, you're sent away and the servant is brought in as my child. Do you see how Jesus reverses that? He flips that. This person that you looked at with disdain, you didn't care about at all, you ignored their needs. You, you didn't use all those blessings, like all those nice clothes and a nice house and tons of food to share it all with this man who was in need and to tell him that it was a good God who gave you those things. And so I'm rejecting you now and I'm welcoming in the servant, Lazarus, Eleazar. God will help him. This would have been outrageous to all the religious people Jesus is talking to. Like what, how dare you say that? We're children of Abraham. There's another point in exchange with Jesus and the religious elite where he's like, no, no, your father's the devil. Like how harsh is that, right? That you're not following after Abraham who followed after God. You're following after your own selfish desires and that is what Satan, the enemy, introduced into this world. Remember the very first, very first rebellion against God was this promise of like, no, 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 you don't need God to provide for you. Here's something else. Come and eat this. Doesn't it look good? Oh, yeah, it looks good. Genesis says that because the woman saw it and it looked good, it was pleasing to her eyes and it looked tasteful. She ate it. Like when we go after our own selfish desires, do you know that that's who we're following? When we decide this is going to make me feel good right now, and so therefore it's the most important thing. Do you realize who we're emulating in that moment? Have you ever thought about it that way? But do you know you were made not in the image of that father, you were made in the image of the creator God who is good. The God who's not a selfish God, who owns everything in the world and yet opens up his arms and his circle to invite others into it. The God who, though he was rebelled and sinned against and, and cursed and spat upon and turned away from, instead of leaving us to our own destruction, comes after us. Remember when Jesus first sat down with these Pharisees in this house, that was the thing, that was what he started with is, hey, don't sit in the highest position of honor at the table. Sit yourself at the lowest seat. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He left his seat in heaven in the throne of God and came down to be born as a helpless baby to a poor family. A selfless God who would give everything to invite us in. This is what he called 
Israel to be. I'm blessing you to give it up, to be a blessing to others. And Jesus is going, this is, you guys are the rich man. You've hoarded it for yourselves. You've held on to it for you. And so I'm calling others to come be my children now. This is so important. This is not a story about what life looks like after death. As so many people have taken it throughout history. This is not a picture of what heaven and hell look like. Okay? Remember, this is a parable. Jesus is telling a story, a fictional story, to paint a picture to get a point across. That's what parables were. And so when Jesus told these stories, they weren't historical accounts of things. There was no real rich man and Lazarus, so to speak. And they also weren't prophetic things of what's going to happen in a literal sense. They were stories painting a picture of what's going on so that he could help the Pharisees and everybody else who was sitting around see what their own hearts were like. And so we get this story, and actually there's, there's a whole theology built around, as Matt called it, Abraham's bosom. That it's a literal place people would go to when they die. And then that Hades is this literal place of burning fire. Actually, that word Hades, that word Hades is Sheol, which literally just means grave. It just means you're buried. So the rich man died and he was buried. Again, look at how Jesus humanizes the poor man and, and doesn't pay honor to the rich man. He says in verse 22, one day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. Like that sounds very majestic. And you get this, oh, moment, right? And then he says, the rich man also died and was buried. Like he almost pays him no mind. He also died and was buried. Hades was shield, the grave, okay? This chasm that it, Jesus talks about, like you can't get over to, if we really thought that this is what heaven and hell would be like is we would be sitting up on the clouds, but we could see the people we loved in this life burning in torment. Like that doesn't really sound like heaven, right? And they're calling out like, please come help us. Like that sounds miserable. That's, Jesus isn't giving us a literal depiction of heaven and hell. And I'm not even arguing today that those places ex exist or not, right? Like we see them in scripture. What I'm saying is that's not the point of this story. The point of this story is Jesus is trying to help the people listening hear and see how they're living right now. And what he's saying is you're living in such a way where you're creating this chasm between you and other people. But not only that, you're creating this chasm between you and God himself. You are separating yourselves from the call that you had to come be part of Abraham's people, to be God's people, to be blessed by him, to bless others. You have separated yourselves from that. There's this huge chasm there. And this dude's like, hey, warn my brothers. I don't want them to end up in the same mess I'm in. And Abraham's like, they're not gonna listen. They have Moses and the prophets though. They should listen to that. And without a whole lot of time going into this, Moses and the prophets, especially when you see them together like that, what is being referred to is not just the man Moses 
and the men who were prophets. It's actually all the writings of scripture that they would have had at the time. It's all the Old Testament, as we call it today. And so what he's saying is they have God's word. Tell them to listen to that. And he goes, no, they're, they're not. They're not going to. But if some miraculous thing happened where like Lazarus came up from the dead and then goes to tell them, maybe they'll listen. You know, it's interesting that Jesus chose Lazarus again because like we said, this real man Lazarus later in life, Jesus rises from the dead, right? And you know what happens after that? The Pharisees, the religious leaders say, we got to kill him again. That's messed up. This, this man died. And miraculously, Jesus brings him back to life. And they go, hold on. That's too much. People are going to stop following us. They're going to start following this Jesus. Because look at that. We got to go kill Lazarus so that we can go, no, no, no. See, he didn't really raise him. We're going to go commit murder. And Jesus knows. So he goes, no. Even if someone raises from the dead, they're not going to listen. If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, if they won't listen to God's word, they won't listen even if they see a miracle like someone raising from the dead. This chasm is separating them. We got a problem now, don't we? Like how do we get across this chasm? beautiful thing in this story is what the Hebrew listeners, the religious people around and the sinners alike could have picked out from this story is they had a rich history of talking about God bringing them through a chasm. It was first the Red Sea and then it was the River Jordan. And if you know what I'm talking about, when Jesus saved Israel, the children of Abraham, out of slavery from Egypt, in the Old Testament, a long time ago. He brought them across the Red Sea safely. He parted the waters and they walked across. And when their enemies started to go after them, the Egyptians, he brought the waters back over them and engulfed them in it. And so what was salvation for the Israel people was destruction for God's enemies. And that wasn't the first, or it wasn't the only time that that happened. So later, as God's people are waiting to get into this land God had promised them, there's another body of water separating them from it, the River Jordan. And he uses a man named Joshua now to lead them across. He does the same thing. He, he separates it, and they can walk across on dry land, unharmed. This great chasm they couldn't get across on their own, God uses one to bring them across safely. Jesus ends the story with that. He says, he talks about that chasm, but then he says, verse 31, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone even rises from the dead. And I don't think Jesus was only talking about this other real life Lazarus that he was gonna raise from the dead. Jesus becomes the one who leads us through the chasm, the chasm of death. Because Jesus himself, saying these crazy things to the religious people who had power and control and said, if they're willing to kill Lazarus again to stop him, they were also willing to kill him. And that's exactly what they did. They, they rose up a mutiny against him. They turned the Roman officials against him. They turned the people 
of Israel against him, and they killed Jesus. And Jesus enters into Sheol, the grave. He enters into this chasm. This, if, if you can imagine what's the thing that can separate us the most from God, if God is the one who gives life himself, all of life exists because of God, what's the thing that can separate us the most from the one who is the life-giving God at its death? That's the chasm. That's that separation. And Jesus goes into it. Like that's from his highest seat of honor in the throne of heaven to his lowest seat of shame. It's not when he was born as a baby. It's when he goes into death, into the grave on our behalf. He is killed by the very people he was sent to save. But he goes in and he comes out safe and alive. Three days in death in darkness. And on that third day, he rises again. And there are some who would not even believe after Jesus rose from the grave, even there in person. If they don't believe God's word, they won't believe even if someone rises from the dead. And Jesus tells this story to his listeners. And it's almost like he's leaving it, asking this question, will you? Would you believe would you believe God's word? Would you believe even if I rose from the dead? You were blessed to bless other people. You have been cared for by God so that you can welcome others in to this beautiful family of God. And you have hoarded it to yourselves. But even though you've made this great chasm between you and the Lord, I have come to bring you safely through it. Would you believe? Would you follow me through it? Would you be willing to live in the way that I live where I'm willing to give up everything for the sake of you? Could you give up for the sake of others? When you walk outside of your apartment door and there's a man laying there because he has nowhere to go, are you just gonna step over him like I did and keep going about your day? Or would you see someone made in the image of God who Jesus is willing to give his whole life for? and welcome them into God's family. This story is not about heaven and hell, death after life so much as it is about what are you doing with what God has given you now? And are you following after the one who could bring you through the chasm, through death into life, living forever with Jesus by our side? Our hope is not Abraham's side. It's by Jesus so pray with me that we would follow after Jesus in the power of the Spirit, that we would find true life in him, and that we would show others what that looks like. Father, we pray that this story, Jesus, that you told would help our hearts to see what real life is, what true life looks like at your side, following after you. God, help us to believe, even though we did not physically, literally ourselves see Jesus rise from the dead, uh, we, have, we have the true story of God right in front of us. And Jesus, that's what you called us to. Would we believe that story? Would we believe, Jesus, that you did rise from the grave? 
And that if we are following after you, we too could have a life eternal with you, full of all of the comforts of a great God who loves us. And that those are far better. The comfort of being with you is far better than any comfort this world can offer us today. Help us to live that way and help us to share that good news with others around us. In Jesus' name, amen.